Welcome into episode 206 of the Monjummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Tama Drums. I don't know if you've seen the news, but they just released a new SLP drum kit. This is the new vintage hickory. So check this out. This is a kit made of 100% American hickory shell. It's described as having a bright um, and a warm sound similar to maple, but even clearer in tone. It comes with 2.3 millimeter steel mighty hoops. Evans G1 coated heads, um, and it has a real, it's designed to have a really nice, open, jazzy type sound. The finish um, is a classic, just a light lacquer brown. The bass drum hoops are stained dark brown, and has a vintage marine pearl wrap on the inlay, which gives the kit a really classy, subtly vintage look. The kit comes with, this is a jazz kit, so it comes, or a jazz style kit, it comes with a 14 by 18 bass drum, an 8 by 12 rack tom, and a 14 by 14 floor tom. It has the tom mount on the shell itself. So it's a simple uh, simple type setup. Um, yeah, so check it out. So go to Tama.com, look at the SLP New Vintage Hickory Kit. We're definitely going to be featuring this kit in the product review segment in an upcoming issue. We have the kit here at the Modern Drummer's office to test. So we have a bunch of audio and really going to dig into how this thing sounds. But for now, check out the SLP uh, Neo Vintage Hickory Kit by Tama. And let's get the show going. Welcome home, Mike Johnston. Thanks, buddy. Thank you very much. I'm being welcomed home to the sounds of my fellow campers. Yeah, so what is that? That intro beat is special. How many people is that, first of all? Uh, that should be including myself, uh, 20, 21, 22. Okay. Uh, I never Weird. count. It's called 21 Drums. It's supposed to be 21 campers and then the teachers. But I've never actually asked them to line up. So it feels like 21. <laughs> Why isn't it called 21 Drummers? Because 21 Drums is... Right, so I don't quite understand, but I know that the first time I went into Dublin with John Paul, who is the guy that owns, or excuse me, that runs Music Maker, and that's the store that helps me put this thing on, and to give them proper credit, they helped me put it on for the first year or two. Now they put it on. Uh I'm very, I'm not really involved the way I was because it, it kind of runs on its own. 21 Drums has become its own brand doesn't need as much of my help but john paul is the uh manager of music maker and he really puts in him and his staff put in all the work and i remember the first time we went into dublin driving around we saw 21 in a lot of different places like it was a charity 21 Hmm. helping hands so i he explained it to me then i just went with it so whatever (laughs) but it is hard to say 21 drums camp drummer camp drums (laughs) drums <laughs> like i i don't really know how to say it but it has become its own brand and i will say that what you guys are listening to or just heard that is all the campers in a room together and so uh i think it was maybe mark that three years ago maybe three years ago maybe two years ago just in one of his improvisational classes had everyone in the room just hit something mm-hmm. and we kind of waited until time developed like one hit here two hits there yeah and then eventually this thing developed and so i thought man that'd be so great because a couple of the campers said hey can we be on the podcast can we walk by and ask a question this type of stuff and then i just thought why don't we just play the intro groove yeah it's perfect mike always needs intro grooves Let's send them 22 intro grooves at once. We'll all play together. So, yeah. So, luckily, the room is all mic'd up. The house engineer there has mics on all the kits, plus a ton of room mics. So, we turned everything on and just had everybody hit something. I mean, there were lampshades in there. There was every... Because there were only two people on drum sets. I'm playing the groove, 
And then that's about it. And then somebody else was on, I think maybe Mark's kit playing just some random notes. And then everything else was just whatever they could find. If they could find something to hit, music stands, their own sticks. Somebody, I think, is playing a couple piano notes. Somebody's on uh, like a little mini marimba in the back. So really cool stuff. (laughs) The first uh, Modern Drummer podcast drum circle. That's right. (laughs) We are are venturing into hippie land. This episode is brought to you by patchouli oil. and (laughs) No, I do not like lavender. (laughs) My goodness. That is a rough one, if, especially like at drum camp, because here at least it, my my control room is so tiny. Mm-hmm. If somebody loves the patchouli, whoof. Yeah. How do you bring that up? How do you bring that up? Like, hey, man, is there any way you could smell different? <laughs> <laughs> it's It's half my fault because whoever is wearing it clearly digs it. So I, it's not that it stinks. It's just that it doesn't vibe with my nostrils. So I have to just be like, hey. Let's just agree to disagree on the way you smell, <laughs> which is which is different than stinking. Stinking is obvious. Like, man, you stink. We're going to go down to the river and just move around quickly uh, in the water. But patchouli is more like we disagree. Uh, off to a good foot. So I'm back in town. Oh, man. Drums, huh? Hmm. Well, I got a lot of that this week. My goodness, I've, since I talked to you last, I've been to Alabama, played with J.D. Blair, Will Kennedy, Marcus Pope, and a guy named Tibbs, this amazing percussionist that was out on tour with Donna Summer for years. Cool. And went straight from that to 21 Drums with Ash, Mark, and Sput. And then Richard Spaven came by that. And then I went straight from that to Belfast and did a clinic there and just got home last night about midnight. Good God. So we should talk about anything but drums, maybe? Uh, no. <laughs> Hence the patchouli talk. No, I honestly, I think that 21 Drums Camp might be as inspirational for me for the year as it is for any of the campers because since I'm only teaching one 60-minute class per day, I have the rest of the day as downtime, and it's time to just walk around. There is no city. I mean, you're at a castle in a field somewhere, so all you can do is think about what's next. Mm. How are you going to attack this next year? And you're also not in a vacuum. You're As you walk by the door, you hear Ash teaching a shuffle. And then you walk by the next door and you hear Sput doing his thing. And, and so all day you're just constantly inspired. Then having Richard come by, that was a big deal for me. Uh, mm. One, he's a very close friend. We've become really close friends in the last year. And I really enjoy any time I get to spend with him. But he's probably right now the closest drummer I can think of that whose drumming skills are where I'm trying to head. It's just he uses them in a way that I'm not trying to use them. I don't want to be playing the music he's playing, but when I watch him play drums, if you muted the music, that is the skill set that I'm trying to go after. Interesting. More than anyone else that I can think of. I mean, just even watching him, you know, being a few feet away from him, like this is the vocabulary that I want. How would you describe it? Uh, I would say probably if we go deep into music theory, rad. Rad would highly syncopated, highly syncopated, but threaded together with a groove. There is something there. It's not random at all, but it's so syncopated that you can, it's almost what I love, I guess, about the world of Sting with Vinny is that you can choose to nerd out on it or you can just say, screw that. I'm turning my brain off and I'm just going to vibe out to it. Mm. And that's something that, 
I've only been able to capture on one thing that I do in a clinic, which is at the end of a song that I play in 7-8, because the song happens to fade out, I keep playing what I was playing the whole time, and I just stay there and move that to a couple different instruments. But I, it's, a, it was a, it's a very busy groove in the song, so it's kind of the funky drummer vibe where the solo is what he was playing the whole time. The mm-hmm. band just stops. And I, that's when I, for the first time this week, felt like this is where I want to go. I want to play stuff that you could just vibe out to it and be a non-drummer and enjoy it. Or you could pick it apart and be like, wow, he's doing groupings of 7-8 and he shortens it to 6-8 and he shortens it to 5-8 and just is cycling through these things. You could nerd out on it if you want or you can just vibe out to it. And I think Richard just captures that perfectly. Crazy. So you got to hang out with Ash, Sput and mark and richard so what is the biggest thing you took away that you need that inspired you to practice something new from those four guys yeah so it's a good question i think that those four guys all know exactly who they are as drummers Mm. and it's time for me it's not it's time for me to stop waiting around to discover it but to choose who i am as a drummer and then just tackle it relentlessly because I've done it as an educator. I've done it in other facets of my life. And as a drummer, I still don't, I I'm, I'm, I'm sick of chasing other drummers. And yeah, so yeah, even yeah. like Richard, like what I'm not going <clears> to <throat> do is pick apart his drumming and ask him to teach me. And it's yeah. like, I don't want to yeah. chase him. I just know that when I saw it, it almost reminded me of how I felt when I saw Benny Greb 10 years ago, where I go, Oh my gosh, that vocabulary totally relates to me. It's it, it's maybe above me at the moment, but I totally know what what's happening there compared to maybe JoJo, where I say I honestly don't know what that vocabulary is made out of. I don't know mm-hmm. what the DNA of what you're playing. I don't even know where it starts. And so I just have gotten to that point where I'm going to carve out probably an hour a day to sit down and create. But to while creating, instead of trying to create for a purpose, like, well, I've got a solo coming up in Amsterdam in two weeks. Yeah. Instead of that type of creation, I'm going to create while paying attention. Who mm-hmm. am I? And because as soon as Mark starts playing anything, you just know, like, oh, yeah, that's Mark being Mark. Yeah. It's yeah. It doesn't matter what he's playing, right? It could no. be because, yeah. Yeah, but he does it with so much conviction, but he still does it his way. He doesn't play eighth notes the way that Ash does. And when Ash plays a track, I feel like when Ash is playing to a track, that's just like me teaching. That's me going, that's him in his home area. Mm. That's his zone. And now I want that for my drumming. So yeah, I'm definitely, I would say this this year I'm way more inspired than I have been in years past. In years past, I always came home somewhat depressed. It took me about two weeks to get over dang my buddies are really good at the drums like really good it took a while to realize they're not really good they're actually some of the best drummers that are alive right now yeah like yeah it's okay it's okay that they're that good they've put that kind of time in they should be that good and i would think someone like Sput for me would be the most you know obviously i don't mean this in any bad way but the most depressing because he's so gifted musically that there's no that I don't think that's something you can ever practice. I mean, not late in the game. Maybe if you're like five, six years old, you could start practicing those skills. But he's the one out of that group. I mean, obviously you guys are all great in your own way, but for him, the skill set that he has just as a musician, I think that would be the one I go home like, what am I doing? Like he's born to do this. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. <laughs> you know? I if if the camp was me and Sput on our own, it 
I would not be in a good place right now <laughs> because he's 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 a he's just I think brilliant is the only way to describe him. He's truly brilliant, and when yeah. he plays stuff, he played a Stevie Wonder medley that uh, I'm pretty sure he wrote. So it was it wasn't really a medley; it was more of almost like a. Uh, I don't even know how you would say it, but it was it was a tribute. So there were Stevie mm. vibes rather than Stevie vocals flying in and out. I'm pretty sure Sput wrote the whole thing, but it had a Stevie vibe to it. And I just remember thinking, I can't tell what's more brilliant. The fact that you wrote this and recorded it by yourself or <laughs> that you're playing drums to it the way you're playing drums to it. Because I'm clearly not hearing the same song you're hearing. This is it, it, he's so out there. But it still has a pocket and a feel. So that was cool. And the reason we brought Sput back into the mix was because on a camp level, I don't expect everyone to relate to my very teacher-like way of doing things. And this is very structured. And here's the PDF. And the note placement goes right here. And here's our grid. I expect that there's three or four people in the camp that are complete artists going, I have no idea what you're saying. And mm. I want them to have someone that they can look to and go, but that dude right there, that's how I see the world. I, you know, if Kaz Rodriguez was taking the camp 10 years ago, I would want him to look at Sput and go, yes, colors and shapes. That's mm. how I see the world. I identify with you. So that's the reason we bring in the drummers we bring. It's not because they're good or they're great or even that they're nice people. They are a different lens to view this world of drumming through other than my own. So I know how I see it. Ash sees it nothing like how I see it. I mean, mm. everything is built around tracking and making the song feel better. And there's no reason to practice anything on the drums if it won't make a song feel better. Mark is very structured, but he's the balance between my view and Sput's view. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly artistic, but very structured. And then Sput is the full artist. So I think that those, hopefully those four guys, or we give each of the camper campers freedom to say yeah that's how i see the world i'm not alone dig it that's inspiring for me the latest obsession has been justin brown his his oh, man. phrasing and his vocabulary it's it's so familiar and incredibly foreign at the same time so i'm after that like where's his how's he hearing the phrasing is what i'm trying to figure out is he thinking four four and four bar phrases or is he just able to just float and you know, like the 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 overall form is more internalized. Like that's that's the kind of stuff for me that's really inspiring because he's clearly not just riffing. He's not just jamming. Did that chops. inspire your most uh, or one of your most recent Instagram videos where you were just playing in four bar phrases but not really committing to? Yeah, the yeah. one on any I of realized them. that after the fact. Like, oh yeah, there's some of that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not practicing it deliberately. I'm just watching what he's doing and, and his peers and thinking, okay, that's that's the language. Like, that's the the modern language. It's not. Um, it's. I think it's very related to Jack DeJohnette, where you can't transcribe it and analyze it in the music theory way. You could, but that's not the point. It's more shapes, like rhythmic shapes. So. Yeah, I'm trying to, to internalize form and then be 100% free within that form. That's the goal. Yeah, you know, I think that's a, a good point. On a drumming level, that might be where I'm trying to head a little more basic than that. But I'm trying to get to the point that I can play hooks on the drum set, but those hooks also have improvisational freedom rather than a note-for-note mm. copy of themselves. But and, and that they're just this constant cycle of, okay, if I had to play for four minutes, can I keep your interest for those four minutes? And how long do I know to stay on a hook or a motif before I move on mm-hmm. and before 
I'm bored and you're bored. But I think any kind of motif or any kind of repetition gives the listener something to be a part of. If I'm just literally throwing random chops for four minutes, it's really not that fun to listen to. Uh, unless you're nerding out and trying to pick apart every like oh they're paradiddle diddle got it you know yeah i think as soon as you remove the word random then then you're on to something because you can play all the notes in the world but if they're not random if they have some sort of function i think people will will be able to draw the you know follow along yeah i think of uh dave desenzo's solo at modern drummer and there was there were so many repetitive themes that kept coming in and out but Mm. he still seemed to be it, it seemed like he was jamming but I feel like that that repetition and that non-randomness, I feel like it's a safety net. At least I'm not just flying out here alone. There's something holding mm. me together. It's this phrase that I'm hearing. Or maybe the repetition is a tonality. I'm just playing on hi-hat and cross stick, and I'm not going to move from that. But I'm free to improvise in that. And then I'm going by the when I hit my first floor, Tom, you're going to freak out because you haven't heard of Tom in three minutes or whatever. Right. So there does need to be some, at least for me, I don't enjoy even listening to somebody with no safety net. When I think about Weckl, his soloing, it feels like there's he knows something I don't. That's how I feel. Yeah, true. There's something holding him together, but I haven't figured out what it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I can tell he knows what he's doing. He's not just, well, we'll see what happens. There's something holding it together. But I think in the early days, we tend to think it's something to do with a pattern of hands. Like, oh, it's Swiss triplets, and it's mm-hmm. very small. It's three notes. And then as you keep zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, those are the things that don't matter at all. It's how did they contribute to the overall phrase and the overall structure of this thing. So maybe maybe we should do the next four or five intros, and it'll be what we're working on. <laughs> nah, that's a thing. I still don't want to hear myself. That's where the heart starts pounding. There we go. All right, let's get into it. So are we doing a bunch of Q&A today? Yeah, we're going to try to get through this stack of emails here. So we've got our first one is from Ralph. Uh, Ralph uh, says, I've been active in the Long Island music scene for over 25 years. I think part of my success in getting consistently hired is that I'm easy to get along with and have always made a conscious effort to be supportive to the song and whatever is going on up front. Even uh, in times when I have not personally agreed with a certain musical choice, I've always felt the need to play a supportive role um, to the song and to the band. However, at what point does one draw the line? Uh, I've recently taken on the chair in a Led Zeppelin tribute band. Um, I've spent many hours learning the parts of the show exactly how Bonham played them and at the tempos where the songs were recorded. Unfortunately, whenever we rehearse, the guitarist um, plays the song. Uh, he wants to play the song slower because he doesn't have the facility. That's that's the question. So at what point do you draw the line and, I guess, not be the team player anymore? Well, that is a tough question. The band dynamics are... One of the craziest things ever. I think until you're on your fourth marriage, you don't really understand band <laughs> dynamics. <laughs> you don't know when the compromise is and when to fight for yourself. Uh, yeah, I've, I definitely am of the opinion if we can't play the song at least close to the tempo because of something physically, like you just aren't physically fast enough to play it, we shouldn't be playing this. I don't yeah. want to play Rosanna 20 BPM slower because I can't play a halftime shuffle at the speed that Picaro did it. I also think... If you're maxed out to play at whatever tempo you're playing, the feel is out the window. Yeah, for sure. If you're just holding on for dear life, there's, you know, it's so I would say at some point you just have to say, cool, let's move that over to our dream list of tunes that we're going to play and let's go with Cashmere tonight. 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of feeling like in this particular situation, since it's a tribute band, not just a cover band, if you if you're not playing them accurately, people are going to be not into it. So I totally agree. That's tribute. It's such a weird thing. Tribute band and cover band, from my perspective as an audience member, are so different. Yeah, my expectations. Cover band. I don't even care if it's in the same key. Yeah, it's like or, oh, yeah, same I group, think this whatever. might be rock with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this might be rock with you by Michael Jackson, or it's. Uh, Something by Metallica. I can't really tell. <laughs> Whatever. It's a cover band. I'm fine. Tribute band, totally different. I actually want the drums tuned the way they were tuned. I'm hoping the guy has a similar kit. I'm hoping the band, you know, I'm okay if, I don't need them to dress in the full Beatles garb, but I'm kind of picking it apart. I want the vocals to sound proper. So Yeah. 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 And I think you have to listen to their live records and, and hear that they probably played this stuff a lot faster than faster. it was actually recorded. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. that's tough. So that might just not be a good project, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you? you can still be nice and be like, I think you guys are going to do a lot better without me. It's me. <laughs> I'm going to go. Create a new band. That's a you. tough one. Good luck. But still, do it with a smile. <laughs> yep, always. <laughs> All right, our next one is from Casper. Um, has anyone figured out a way to put a triangle on a kit and play it with either a drumstick or the foot? I don't know of oh. any foot-activated triangle, but there are plenty of triangle mounts um, because this has been an issue for classical percussionists forever to be able to quickly play triangles in the middle of passages. So I'm pretty sure Rhythm Tech has one that it's like they call it like a trigger. Let me look it up. Um, where you, it has like a beater built into it, so you just flick the trigger and it hits the triangle. There's, really? there's definitely options out there, but you got to look in the classical world. It's not going to be okay. in the drum set world. Yeah, Rhythm Tech has the uh, trigger RT6000. What do they call it? RT6000 RT triangle trigger. And there's, I think, Black Swamp might have one. So you have to, yeah, the um, Black Swamp DeSanza triangle trigger. Yeah, this has been an ongoing problem forever in the classical world. So they exist. As far as a pedal, I don't know of any options for that. And why would you want to do that? <laughs> Easy. Don't. <laughs> Imagine how light you would have to play the Dawson pedal. creeping up there. Why the hell would you ever want to hit it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited that you gave him an actual answer because that, that is something I just immediately went, uh, what? No, I haven't tried that. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, those exist. Um, look at the Rhythm Tech one or the Black Swamp one. Okay, um, this is from Walt. So uh, if each of you were stranded on a desert island separately with one recording, one instructional book, one instructional video, what titles would you choose? Boom. You want to go? Uh, you got a record? Desert Island record? Yeah, it's always the same. It's a, a diorama or diorama, however you say it, by Silverchair. Really? Every time. Yep. So you I can think listen it's, to that anytime, any day, for any reason. Just that I, I really don't know if there. I would put that up there with Pet Sounds and with Sergeant Pepper's and maybe uh, another. You know, I'm trying to think of other great and um, Spilt Milk by uh, mm. uh, who was that? Jellyfish. Jellyfish. So those are like my top five, like Pet Sounds, Sergeant Pepper's, Spilt Milk by Jellyfish, Diorama by Silverchair. Uh, yeah, the, that's but yeah, that's still my all time favorite. I can listen to it any time of day. 
And if yeah. any of you haven't heard it, don't even think that it's Silverchair. It's like jig, 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 corn, jig, 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 corn. That's not what I'm talking about. It's it's its own existence. You I good, know you talked about it before. I think it's, this feels like deja vu because I we have we have talked about actually we've brought up the, that same question in the past. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for me, about, it's it's John Coltrane and Love Supreme. In yep. you know that's that's. I think the greatest single greatest record ever made, in my opinion. And I know I've said that before, and it, it remains for me. All right, what about a right. book, an instructional book? Um, I think I'd go with Future Sounds. I, I still don't think I've scratched the surface of the way. I haven't gotten to the point yet that I read those grooves the way that David Garibaldi meant for those grooves to be seen. So mm. I can sight read it, but I haven't gotten it to the point where I would be proud playing it in front of him yet mm-hmm. but it's I would say it's the closest to my language that I'm searching for anyways so now obviously I, the only reason I say that over syncopation is because I have all that syncopation stuff memorized I really don't need the book yeah I exactly sing summary number one to you you know so I don't need the book for that work although I think if you were trying to say what could you have an endless supply of work on it would obviously be syncopation or stick control. But when it comes to just the actual book and I'm still going to work on it and I'm going to open the pages and they're not memorized, it would be future sounds. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to punt and give you a twofer because one is an instructional book and one is more of a conceptual book, a instructional book. One that I always go back to and I'm always learning something new is Charlie Wilcoxon's uh, modern rudimental swing solos. I think I'll be able to practice out that for the rest of my life. Um, And it's not, it's not something that's in my memory. So that's like, right. yeah, like stick control. I could, I could write a million sticking variations, syncopation, new breed. I could write all that stuff out. I could write my own versions of it. I right. could write my own version of Charlie Wilcox and so And that's what I meant about future sounds is I, I don't have that to, to go on. Uh, I need yeah. the book to do it. Right. And then the conceptual one for me would be the music lesson by uh, Victor Wooten. Man. Which so, is so, so good. good. Yeah, yeah, that's and the audio book of it is pretty cool too. <laughs> Did he do it? He does it, and he's playing because yeah. you know in the book there's he like writes a little scribble of a motif for each chapter. Yeah. so he's playing it throughout ah, the book. Maybe I'll I'll revisit it as an audio book because I've yeah, read it many awesome. times. It's it's such a good read and it's such a good. It's one of those books that you're always proud to give someone else because you know you're giving them an experience, not mm-hmm. a book. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. All right, now let's go to educational. Video? video, yeah. It, the only, the one that I have that I've not even scratched the surface is still Jojo Mayer's Secret Weapons for the Modern Drummer, the the hand yeah, technique, the hand one. one. Yep. yep. Not even, not even come close to even getting chapter one of that down. Right. Yeah. I think. Oh man, I, I guess it. You have to balance between: Are you going to learn from this, or are you also going to, or are you going to be inspired? to go practice because of it and mm. Mm, that is a tough one ah man i don't know if i have an answer uh oh yeah i don't know i, I feel like benny greb's first dvd is a little bit endless and there's every time uh i if i leave it on in the lobby every time i walk in i'm like i know i've seen this a hundred times how have i never seen this part mm-hmm. so I like Benny Grubb's first DVD, The Language of Drumming. But I think, yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. Probably JoJo might be the one where yeah. it's 
it's so, there's so much to gain from it. With the Benny stuff, I have seen it a lot, and it's also very analogous to my style of playing. So I feel like the growth wouldn't be as much as there would be with JoJo's because hand technique is definitely something that I've always almost stayed away from, even as a teacher. Yeah, It's like, look, I'm going to show you the basics. I want your hands to figure it out. But when you watch JoJo teach it, it's it's more of an explanation of what's happening physically and how to leverage that rather than this is how you do it. Those are the thing those are the technique videos I run from. I can't stand somebody telling me how you have it, to yeah. play heel down. It's like, well, I'm playing heel up quieter than you and faster, so no. Are we cool with that? Maybe I built my hip flexors more than you built your ankles. Let's move on. Like, how about we get a desired result? And but I think with JoJo's DVD, he's not saying this is how you should do it. He's saying this is what happens when you do this. This is what yeah. happens when you do this, and here's yeah. how to leverage it. And I think that that stuff's brilliant. Plus, all those little street beats are just super cool. Uh, dude, his leather pants are super cool. <laughs> That's what I get into. Like, you can see his face oh, in his thighs. The reflection is there. All right, next question is from Zach. <laughs> um, my question is, modern metal doesn't seem to get a lot of love on the show, so what do you Ooh. think of metal drummers aside from... Um, the both mats, I guess that would be Gartska and uh, Halpern. So drummers yeah. such as Anoop, Alex Rudinger, Luke Holland, et cetera, et cetera. Man, that's a, uh, such a good question. And that actually brings up a point about 21 drums. You know, we've had the same guys for five years now, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it might be time to change up the guy. The original plan for 21 drums was it would always be me and two other drummers. Every year we change it. We've had so much fun, it just kind of became what it is. But I thought metal is not represented at all. And I was thinking about, I wonder what it would, what kind of demographic we could bring into the camp as far as new campers if somebody like Matt was there, Matt Halpern. Uh, I, I don't have as close of a friendship with Matt Gartska as I do with Matt just because of time. Luke Holland's another great one as well. I, I don't know why it doesn't. The reason why the two Matts get, I would say, some love on this podcast, one is a friendship that I have with Matt Halpern. So he's kind of the archetype for modern metal drummer in my head. But I think metal drumming is in a place now that it cannot possibly be looked down on the way we might've had a jazz drummer looking down on it in the eighties or something. I mean, now it's, yeah, it's almost fusion it's, more than anything. Yeah. I fusion totally agree. It's electric it's, guitar. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about Tigran's album, uh, when he put out, uh, Tigran Hamasayan. I don't know how to say his last oh, name. Oh, right. Yeah, with, with Carson. But when that, right? well, at first it's with uh, Arthur Hanatek. Man, I'm terrible with yeah, names. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, when it got popular, it wasn't Gartska at all. And I remember when that first came out, I thought, uh, this is Animals as Leaders with piano. Uh-huh. And it was, but it was modern fusion. And then if you just change that piano out for distorted guitar, you've got modern metal. So I think. Modern metal is in an amazing place. And as a teacher, I'm so proud or happy of where metal is right now because kids are going to listen to it. So if that's what they're listening to, then they are listening to some extremely advanced music, which is great. Yeah, It's only going to make better musicians growing up. <clears throat> yeah, my only excuse is I just don't listen to the music. It doesn't appeal to me. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. into a little bit more um, sloppier kind of styles. And, and that, that aesthetic, that super clean, super precise, like, it just doesn't appeal to me so i don't have much of experience or knowledge in it but you know we try so we will make our featured artist we should definitely get a rudy as one of our featured artists alex rudinger he's 
just a monster. Uh, and I think we've done a decent job about talking about Eloy Casagrande because we both agree that oh, guy's yes. well, he's, a freak he's of he's got it all for me. He's got yes. everything. He's got the the chops, the aggression, the the punk rock, no no holds barred grit. He's also got the feel of Brazil of all of Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the man for me. So we should Juno feature him. Juno loves Eloy. <laughs> Get him Juno. All right, next all right, one. So this one's from Chris. Uh, I've been playing drums for over 30 years as a hobby, and now I'm considering giving drum set lessons to young kids or beginners. Which drum books would you recommend, and what advice can you give regarding how to develop a successful business teaching to kids? You have a delivery? (laughs) (laughs) First of all, yeah, I think I do. Juno! Come here, sweetie. Come here. Always a cameo. What's going on? Oh, God, I just bent my nose. Something yeah, serious. Yeah. Hey, lay down. Do me a favor and lay down. I'll give you a dollar. One dollar. Go lay down. Um, <laughs> God, she really bit my nose good. She's like, Dad, Dad, you don't understand. So let's start with books first because that is obviously – that one question for me can be an entire podcast because it's yep. my life and I'll go on forever. First book for me is always the same. It's Joel Rothman's Basic Drumming. And the reason why I say that, I don't think it's something you should teach out of as far as page to page to page, and it's the curriculum. What I think it is is you need to have that on your shelf because anything you're going to encounter with basic to somewhat intermediate drumming, there's at least a chapter on it in that book somewhere. And so it kind of saves your life as a private instructor so many times. Uh, So I I would start with that. You? Yeah, that would be it. And then I would think... Um, given the age and, and you know, if the kid's going to be playing in school band or something, something a little bit more reading heavy, like uh, Alfred yep. Drum Method would be the second book I would add to that. Totally agree. And as far as building it up, one, I really wouldn't worry about the skill level. I would really worry more about you being able to deliver the information, creating an exciting half hour and don't trick yourself into starting with hour lessons. Kids can barely handle a half an hour yeah, Two half hour lessons and plan that half hour out. So do it in a f- little five minute chunks and have the clock somewhere behind the kid's head so that you're not looking at your watch or your phone to see what time it is. If the clock is behind the student's head as you're speaking to them, if they turn their gaze somewhere, you can quickly glance at the clock and find out, okay, cool, we're five minutes deep. Now we're going to transition into our hand workout. That's another five minutes. Now we're at 10 minutes. Once their hands are warmed up and we're all caught up on everything, now we've got a 10-minute chunk of me teaching you something new. That puts us at a total of 20 minutes. We review that a little bit, and then we wrap everything up. So I would really start to break that 30 minutes up into these little chunks of time so that the lesson moves smoothly for you, but most importantly, moves smoothly for your student. And my biggest piece of advice to all private teachers is please keep notes. Do not ask the student, what were we working on last week? (laughs) That's a dead giveaway that you do not care about them. You should review those notes the second before they walk in the door and be like, what's up, Tommy? Hope you're doing well, man. Okay, so we're working on left-hand groupings of three. How's it going? That lets the student know, that lets the parents know you care about them. You design that curriculum for them and not for anyone else. Now, I will add a, a sidebar to that. One tactic that I use is I ask them, what did you practice? 
rather than what were we working on, it's always start with, well, what did you practice? Because we might have hit on four or five different things in that half hour. Nice. But I want to know, nice. what did you actually practice? I don't want to see you fumble through last week's something right. you didn't practice. So quick question, since you and I have never talked about this part on private lessons when I'm taking somewhat professional lessons, like with Pete or with Will Kennedy or whatever, it's definitely structured that this was your lesson that they taught me, and we don't really move on until I've accomplished what they've asked me to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But it's not weekly lessons. With weekly lessons and with kids, there is a pressure for forward momentum all the time. And sometimes they flat out don't practice what you asked them to do. Like three weeks in a row, okay, you still haven't done this. When is it time in your mind to move on to something different, even though they haven't accomplished what you had set for them to accomplish? That is, that's the, um, that's the art of teaching, isn't it? Right. Um, Absolutely. And I find when I was younger and really kind of ambitious, I was very kind of goal oriented and, and, you know, let's make sure we achieve everything with excellence and make sure your technique is, you know, always on the right path. I've had to ease up on all of that and figure out what's the one kernel of improvement that I can get them to make in one week. Because one week is a very short amount of time for a kid. It's a very short. So I'm thinking if this week it's getting you to lift your left foot off the hi-hat stand so you're using your whole leg rather than just your toe or keeping your pinky on the stick when you do a roll. Like it's one baby step for me. So So I'm trying to assess curriculum development versus just physical development on the instrument yeah and it's delicate so i don't i have to kind of for me i have to judge over the time what do i think the talent and capacity of this student you know how fast can they learn and then having to yep. reassess constantly so i don't have a i don't have a firm answer i can tell if it's just frustrating and it's like okay we have to stop and let's do something totally different I think that that's the key of being a great teacher is you have to be empathetic with what the student is going through and realize, first of all, this is not you. You're not teaching you at seven years old. Yeah, exactly. Mike Dawson at seven and nine and 12 was obsessed with drums. This might be just a slight hobby for this kid. So you have to keep that in mind. And I agree. I can tell when the student doesn't want the end result of what I'm trying to teach them, or maybe they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I have to either change gears or show them like, oh, wow, I just realized I never told you why we were doing this. Mm -hmm. That's when you when you realize like, oh, my gosh, I'm I've just been on autopilot. I told you what to do, but I didn't show you the output of where it's taking us. I have to show you that light at the end of the tunnel. But there are times where it's like, okay, this is not happening. I'm kind of bummed because I really need your foot to be able to play in between the eighth notes uh, in a groove. I need us to get that Mm. 16th note kick without it throwing off your hands, but we're going to move to something else and let me, and I also have to pay attention. We all have to pay attention. Are you losing interest in this instrument because it's becoming so physically difficult for you? Yeah. Then I need to, I need to get you a couple wins under your belt. Yeah. Yeah. I always um, make a point if we get to one groove or one exercise that just has something tricky i'm like start on the page we'll come back to it at the end let's get through the whole lesson and then we'll come back to that because i don't want i don't want to derail a half hour lesson with just one groove that is just tricky it takes time to figure that stuff out so that's that's worked and usually by the end of the lesson we go back and just because we've been practicing for a half hour it's achievable but I make a point of, okay, do it, try it once or twice. Okay, we know that's difficult. Move on to the next step. I might also set aside 
Eight. So if they're if we're on the page in uh, basic drumming by Joel Rothman, where the bass drum finally does get in between the eighth notes and starts showing up in the sixteenth note partials of E and A, uh, then I might actually find a song that has a boom, ka, uh, uh, ah. mm-hmm. and it's like okay, this you cannot play this song until you have this skill, and I'll find a song by one of their favorite artists. So that way, there's the carrot just in front of them of like, well, I know you want to play this song. You may not want to work on this page of black and white notes. Well, the mm-hmm. notes are black, but the page is white. But you may not want to work on that, but that will unlock this song for you by fa- your favorite band. So also making sure that whatever you're teaching them is related to the music that they love. That's a, a great way to keep them motivated. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Tama Drums. Go to Tama.com and check out the new SLP series kit they just released. This is the new vintage Hickory. It has 100% American Hickory shells. Hickory, if you've not played, if you never played a drum made of Hickory, um, it's a bright yet warm kind of tone, similar to maple, but there's even more clarity, which is really nice. So this is, um, you know, check it out. It has a natural, natural uh, stained finish with really, really cool dark stained bass drum hoops with vintage marine pearl inlay. So it gives the kit kind of a classic vintage but subtle vintage look. Um, it comes with a, you know, standard bop sizes. So you've got your eight by twelve rack tom, fourteen by fourteen floor tom, fourteen by eighteen inch bass drum. The tom holder mounts right to the bass drum shell, so it's a simple setup. The rack tom mount itself has a bit of a suspension system, and it's small. Uh, what do they call it? They call it the direct flexi mount, so it's a mount that's right on the side of the rack tom, um, but it's designed to not um, choke the resonance of the drum, so it's a real subtle, well-designed system for that. Again, just go to Tama.com, check out the entire SLP series. Um, they're always adding new snares and new kits, and in particular, the new vintage Hickory kit might be one to check out if you're looking for a compact bop-style kit. Dig it. All right, our next Boom. one's from Joel. Um, summarize this. So my snare fell out of the back of my car, and I didn't think anything was wrong with it, but when I looked inside, I noticed that the shell was cracked a little bit around mm-hmm. the area where the bolt's holding the throw-off and two of the lugs are located. The outside of the shell looks fine. Don't have any tuning issues, but I'm curious to know what to do next. Should I use some wood glue and fill it up, or what should I do? Oof. That's well, tough. now, the shell wouldn't be cracked. M- most likely just that ply the inner ply is cracked, right? Yeah, I mean, if it's cracked all the way through, then it would be a goner, I would think. Yeah, yeah. If it's just the inner ply, oh, God, poor drum. (laughs) All that drum, it's like a puppy dog. It just wants to please you, and you dropped it out of a damn car. Yeah, I would caution. I mean, if it still sounds good and nothing is falling off, I wouldn't do any repair yourself unless you know what you're doing. I think I've got a couple old drums that have been abused to the point where like the throw off someone had just like ripped the throw off the side of the shell like there's just a huge chunk of wood missing the drum still sounds amazing so i'm not going to mess with it i think as soon as you start doing any kind of repairs when you don't know what you're doing you're going to destroy it and at least that's me i don't trust myself so i would send it to someone who knows what the heck they're doing if you have to get it fixed Otherwise, just play it. If it sounds good, probably down the road it's going to be a problem. Those lugs might pull out or something, but I wouldn't sweat it. Yeah, just keep rolling. I feel like there's probably going to be a great snare for you to buy that's a 14 by 5.5 at NAMM 2020, (laughs) to be totally honest. (laughs) I'm not positive. (laughs) Moving on, cowbell. (laughs) 
Okay, this one is from Toby. What would you guys consider to be an acceptable speed goal for a nice, clean double-stroke roll without any bounce using this playing on your on a pillow on your thigh? I can play a no-bounce doubles cleanly at around 150 to 160 BPM, but now it still doesn't quite sound like that sweet, clean double roll I'm looking to achieve. Um, yeah. I'm going to guess you're not playing those at 150, 160. You're probably playing them at 75 and 80. Right? Wouldn't think you so. take yeah. up the BPM that? Because 150 is screaming. If you're doing double stroke roll with 60 notes, I yeah, think that's, uh, that's screaming. Let's pull it up. Uh, I mean, 200 has always been my benchmark for my students on a pad and on a snare. Um, but again, that's not playing 16th notes doubled at 200, uh, right? Well, I definitely can't bounce my hands, so I'm doing yes, you're doing eighth notes, notes one and two and three and four and one. And no, that's, that's no. eighth notes. Your hands are doubling, but you're playing an eighth note pulse. Okay, so I see what you're saying. I'm just I'm counting each note as one sixteenth note. So my hands are going one and two and three and four and and then every time they come down, it hits twice. So it's one e and a two e and a. Th- yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just the I think of a double stroke roll piece as being thirty second notes. Yeah, no, that would be screaming. Yes, yeah, no, that'd no. be impossible. <laughs> yeah, that'd be four hundred BPM. So I, yeah, it depends exactly. So let's just say that we're going to consider our each note is one sixteenth note. So okay. right, right is one E, left, left is and. Uh, then I two hundred is my benchmark for my students. That's when it becomes a smooth double stroke roll. Yeah, one hundred. If you're feeling it's thirty second notes, I would yeah. say if you're looking at kind of traditional rudimental drumming, most colonial marches are played at 120 and those drums have very little rebound so that would be like the professional goal ultimate if you can do a double stroke roll from the wrist at so that'd be 240 in in your right. your uh, subdivision 16th notes yeah yep but that's that's screaming but that was what we in college drum line we we had an old school teacher who everything was played from the wrist and we had to stroke a lot of stuff at that tempo you could be done <laughs> Nope, nope, nope. I'm not fighting. Not fighting on that one. It's just a word, Mike. It's just a word. <laughs> really, dude? It felt like a sentence. Stroke a lot of stuff. Felt like a sentence. All they right. Just stroke so, out a lot of the rhythms at da, da, 120. Da, 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 da. Okay. Let's uh, get back on track and talking about that real quick. Interesting point was brought up at the camp. Somebody was asking Mark about how fast he plays while playing so quiet. And I think. You and I both know this, but maybe we're not putting it out to the world enough. When you get to a certain dynamic level, I think the intermediate drummer thinks, well, that must be fingers. It's so quiet. It has to be a delicate thing. And Mark was explaining it's the complete opposite. Mm. I can't use my fingers until there's a rebound. And so if I'm if all of my strokes are under one inch, well, then I'm probably using all wrist for that. Yeah no matter how fast I'm going, because there's not enough rebound happening or momentum to use my fingers. And to play quietly, again, that's another uh, symphonic snare drummer secret. Like, if you're going to play something super quiet and super fast, you can't let that stick drop. You've got you've to play every note. It's got to yep. be from the wrist. You've got to be on top of the stick. It, it requires even more, almost more grip strength to play super right. quiet. Which is crazy because I mean I think we all think like well let's use the delicate muscles of the fingers but they don't yeah. they can't come into play until there's some momentum. All right, want to do one more, couple more? What do you got? Let's see. We've got um, this is from Tim. How can I practice fills on a practice pad? Oh man, that's 
That's easy. You just play them. <laughs> right. Well, I think I've, this is, I mean, we've probably talked about this over the years, but a drum, what is a drum fill? A drum fill doesn't mean you have to move on the toms. That, no. That's, a drum fill is just a variation of your main pattern, right? Wouldn't you yeah, think? Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's filling in the gap of time. Uh, Ash was very, and I'm sorry that I'm only quoting Ash Marks but right now, but I just spent a week with him. He was very, very, uh, I guess, purposeful in letting everybody know. We had a Beatles day that Ash taught, and we okay. explored Ringo. And he was saying that Ringo was just had this famous quote of saying, I own, somebody said, how do you get so much work, and how are you such a beloved drummer? And he said, because I only play a fill when the vocals stop. Mm. Really good quote. You know, and so you're filling in a gap of time somewhere in the music. So yeah, I I practice my fills all the time on a pad. It's just I think of it as one bar of something strict followed by one bar of improvisation. Mm. Yeah, and right. that improvisation could be very subtle, or it could be a full blown you know chop fest. But you and I could trade fills if we weren't on Skype with a delay. We could trade fills right now just on our hands and knees. Yeah, and just do it. So yeah, I I think. I honestly think doing it on a pad is more beneficial than doing it on a kit because you can really hear the clarity of what are you trying to convey rhythmically rather than, well, I'm going to use 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, 16 because yeah. I don't know what I'm about to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you, if all you, if you think of a fill as nothing but every subdivision moving around the kit, right. you're missing on so much there because you could just yeah. play quarter notes and that could be your fill depending on maybe just place it by a 16th note or a... Or right. a eighth note triplet or something yeah yeah no i think that that's i i I think trading fills with yourself is the beginning or the beginning stages of practicing creativity and when i ask students i'm actually quite surprised when i ask students that haven't studied with me hey how often do you sit down and trade fills one bar of groove one bar of fill one bar of time one bar of fill and a lot of them are like i've never done that in my life and then when they actually play music they always struggle during the fill and Mm -hmm. they you can hear in them the four and eight bar itch every time every fourth bar comes up they kind of freak out and their timing falls apart a little bit even (laughs) if there is no fill because they know there could have been one and they start just kind of tensing up a bit and so (laughs) no idea what that voice was by the way that's what tense people sound like (laughs) moving on man all right so yes you should definitely practice your fills on, on the practice pad now we didn't get into specifics I, what I do when I teach this idea is I say define your vocabulary almost to the point of absurdity. So you're only going to do a single accent every... You're going to start in 16th notes, you're going to accent one note per pulse. So it's either going to be on the downbeat, sure. the E, the and, or the uh. So you've got four variations of that. That's your vocabulary. Now spend the next half hour being creative with that limited vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You can do it on the pad. Because then you could Absolutely. replace the accent with doubles or flams or, I mean, there's so many options. Um, a buzz, yeah. I just don't define it as a fill. I, that's that's where I would draw the line. Like, I don't I don't call any of this fills. It's just freedom. It's just rhythmic freedom. Yeah. Improvisation. Uh, but yeah, anyway, let's go on to Tom. Um, this is uh, sort of related to our first question. Maybe this will be how we wrap it up. Um. I teach drums pretty much nine to seven, six days a week. Um, I nice. have I have a company in my area where I employ another teacher that teaches guitar. Um, and then, so he's got a lot of students, got a business going. I play in a cover band that gigs every other weekend, um, which I'm not starting to enjoy so much. 
So mm-hmm. with all the craziness of the work week and having a family, I crave having Saturday nights to myself and spending time with them. Um, so the question is, this is, I guess, relating to practicing what you preach. So what would be the point of me practicing and perfecting my art if it's not going to be implemented in the way that it should via performances? Um, yeah, basically, is he being a hypocrite by asking, encouraging his students to form bands and go play by, and then not doing it himself? Mm, good question. Well, it sounds like he's going through everything I went through. Mm. I mean, touring and then realizing I didn't enjoy it, moving away from the touring world so I could teach full time, and then slowly pulling the gigs out of my home life right when I realized I'm not enjoying this. And mm. then coming full circle to two or three years ago and forming a band because of how much I missed musical communication. And I will say this, Tom. One thing that started to happen is my drumming was only related to the drums and my teaching was only related to the drums and none of it was related to music anymore. And that's when I kind of freaked out. That's when I got scared was, oh my gosh, I'm passing on information to students based off of not communicating with other musicians Mm -hmm. and the drumming is in a vacuum now. And it's almost a different instrument. If it's only going to be played by itself, there's a lot of freedoms that don't rely on communicating or holding down a groove it's like why hold it who are you holding this down for yeah no one else is here (laughs) drop some heat kid so so yeah so that i what i would say tom is one this is you're going to be playing this instrument for the rest of your life this is one of your phases you're going through this now no big deal focus on teaching focus on not gigging and then wait and you started playing this instrument probably for a reason and i'm going to guess that that reason was was related to music that'll be in you for the rest of your life so at some point you'll hear a song it'll trigger an emotional response and you'll want to form a band that you truly enjoy so i would say that that might be your next step is take a break for a while and then put together a musical project as if you were the architect of music from scratch how would you build a band your your favorite people to play with playing your favorite type of music that's what man on the moon is for me and uh you know as soon as i got home i texted my wife and said i i've arrived at the airport i'm in baggage claim and then i texted my band i said boys i'm home let's get together Mm -hmm. i can't believe that that was the second text i did but that's how much i missed it so yeah i mean you hit on exactly my only comment for that would be your it sounds like you're you're performing is still work and that's the problem so you've got the work which is teaching and managing a business and then you're going and playing a cover band which is basically just another job because you didn't write the songs maybe it's it's fun for a while but you know eventually i know that feeling eventually like well why why am i going out and just playing the same songs that aren't mine and the parts that aren't mine so i'm exactly with mike stop doing the cover band thing and come up with an original project or if it's not an original project a cover band that only does stuff that you really are excited to play yeah maybe yeah, like a, absolutely. a meters for me it'd be like can we do a meters tribute band for a while that'd be God. fun yeah <laughs> yes yes we can uh, uh that would yeah. yeah so i think tom just just one i guess the biggest thing from both mike and i don't freak out we've all gone through this stuff put your focus where you want right now take a breather and then come back and do something that makes you happy. And I always say that my band is literally for my soul. I just need it once a week. We play together. We laugh. We watch YouTube clips together. We drink tea and it's just, I always come home happy from band practice. And that's not something I had even in other original bands. So Mm -hmm. I formed this band out of people that truly 
make me happy and we play music that makes me happy. So it's good to have that in your life. And I think, and then I think you'll fall in love with music all over again from scratch. You want to do one more or are we going to cut it there? Well, let's cut it there. That was a good one. It was a little, we got a little real for a second, which is (laughs) rare for us. Uh, Okay. So is it pick of the week time? If you want to, I'm not scared. (laughs) All right. What do you got? (laughs) Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> no, I just—I literally just got off a plane a few hours ago, bro. Yeah, we should explain that the past couple of weeks has been us getting through, um, you know, scheduling and, and crazy busyness. So we'll be back to our regularly planned out episodes next week, right? 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 Yes, absolutely. Um, man, I have like a million things going through my mind for picks of the week that are not even picks. But I will say this: just after spending two quick days. If you have not seen Richard Spaven play, please do yourself a favor a favor and check it out. Get some of his albums. Uh, just see what what he's doing. And the one thing that I think you would have loved, Mike, is he gave a class on he gave it up to the students. So, okay, tomorrow when I teach my master class, what would you guys like? Because he did a clinic at night that was full on performance mm-hmm. with a little bit of speaking. Then then he took one of the master classes in the morning. Um and they all asked about the the Jay Dilla thing, the broken time feel, mm. and I've never seen someone break it down the way he did. It was so brilliant. And then the one thing he said, somebody asked about like, do you feel this in quintuplets? How do you feel this? And he said, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way Jay Dilla felt this in quintuplets. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he didn't do anything, and he said it doesn't need figuring out. This was the best line. He said it doesn't need figuring out because it's already been figured out. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. "Yes." He was like, "Just listen to the music and then make it happen on your instrument. Stop trying to dissect this thing." And yeah, often the simplest answer is put on the record and play to it until you sound like the record. That's then absolutely you're good it. to go. Yeah, it was really cool. He did a great job. So my pick of the week would be Richard Spaven. Check out his drumming and his playing. I think you will really enjoy it. And even if it's something that maybe doesn't fully connect with you for whatever reason, at least you'll know. Okay, that's that's the leader in that world. That's that's one of the leaders in that field, and he's just absolutely killing it. All right, I don't have a pick. My pick. That's of the week great, buddy. Is uh, <laughs> to go practice. Stelios. Stelios. <laughs> All right, congrats so to Stelios for winning the snare drum. We haven't actually uh, followed man. up with him yet, but he's got the drum. He should have it by now. So congrats, Sweet. Stelios. 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 Just don't do it. I don't. I if because I don't want anyone to get hurt in the making of his videos. At some point, someone's going to be in some trouble. Someone's actually going to get arrested. Stelios is the man. He's got the drum. And everyone, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for putting up with their, our chaotic schedule. Just so you know, we did try to record this multiple times from when I was in Ireland, and it just seemed like everyone was against us. We could not get the anything yeah. to work. <laughs> I borrowed four different pairs of AA batteries from the studio, and every one of them was dead. And finally, I just said, you know what, man? I'll do it when I get home. So we love you guys. We appreciate everything. If you have any questions, uh, all the questions you submit, go to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Head over onto iTunes and give us a review and a five-star rating. That helps other drummers find this podcast. And thank you guys so much for all the support. We really appreciate it. And see you next week. Peace.